As Josh has mentioned, we're speaking about unity. The New Testament talks about unity. In fact, it talks about unity more than it talks about heaven or hell. In John 17, Jesus prayed. He prayed for the disciples, and then He prayed for all believers. And there were lots of things we could think that He could have prayed for. But He prayed for one thing. And we see that in verse 21 of John 17. It says, that they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me. What as Jesus was praying, what, what did He say would cause the world to see God and to believe God? The unity of the believers. And Throughout the New Testament, and as Paul wrote to the different churches and church leaders throughout uh, the books that we have recorded in the New Testament, we see over and over again the importance and the emphasis of unity. Now, just uh, put your mind at ease here. And uh, so a lot of times people say, oh yeah, you know, you, you picked this one out. What's going on? Well, uh, nothing is going on that I know of. I, I think our church is very unified and I appreciate the faithfulness of our people. We have seen it throughout a, an interesting year. But we have seen the incredible faithfulness and love demonstrated by our people. But it's a challenge because Satan will always strive to destroy the work and the testimony of the church. And the number one way that he does that is to have conflict and disunity within the church. And so we need to pray that God would keep us unified and focused on what He has for us to do. And I pray that this morning will be an encouragement as well as a challenge to each one of us. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come before You, may we recognize that we are one in Jesus Christ. And although we have different passions, we have different gifts and abilities, we have a one single purpose. And that's to glorify You as we share the Gospel and grow in You. And Lord, may that be demonstrated and evident in our church body as well as the church throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout Philippians, Paul shares, it's called the Epistle of Joy, and he talks about a lot of amazing things that are going on in this church. They were churches we've looked at as we went through chapter 1. and We saw that it was a church that faced a lot of obstacles, a lot of persecution. It was a very poor, impoverished church. But yet their joy was evident as they saw God working in them and God working through them into the world around them. But one of the things that the church struggled with at Philippi because no church is a perfect church, but they struggled with unity. 
And we saw in chapter 1, verse 27, that they would be of Paul asking that they would stand fast in one spirit. We see here in chapter 2 the focus and importance of unity. A little later on in chapter 2, Paul warned them not to grumble and argue. Chapter 4, we see the, the story of two ladies in the church that were having an argument, and that was creating friction and tension within the church body. Paul recognized that Satan desired to destroy the work of the church at Philippi as well as the work of every church by destroying the unity of the church. Now, we must understand what unity is. If God calls us to it, if we're challenged to it, what does it mean? And sometimes I think we get it mixed up with uniformity. Unity comes from within and it's a matter of the heart. It's having the same goal and purpose. Uniformity is a result of pressure from without. We are not called to be uniform. We are all different. We have different passions. We have different gifts and abilities. But we are called to be unified. The same goal and purpose for why we exist and why we work together. So here in Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses, Paul calls on the church to strive for unity. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others." And in these four verses, Paul lays out a powerful argument for unity in the church. He begins in verse 1 by sharing why should we strive to be uniform? Not uniform, excuse me, unified. What are the reasons we should be unified? And Paul, and Paul is very logical and, and very, he, he outlines well as he writes. He's definitely a Greek thinker. And so he lays out, okay, this is why you should be unified. And he begins verse 1 with the rhetorical, if there is. And as you look at these four things he lists in this verse, they are obviously all true. So it's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. We could say it, and it actually can be said, since there is, or in light of these facts, we should be striving to be unified. So what are these four things he lays out in verse 1? Well, he talks about a consolation in Christ. If there is any encouragement in Jesus Christ, does Jesus Christ come alongside us and help us? Shouldn't the work of Jesus Christ in our lives compel us to preserve the unity that Christ desires? And then, secondly, comfort of love. If Christ gives comfort in our lives, the obvious answer is yes. Love is, 
given by a God to unworthy sinners. This comfort of love. We have hope. No matter our circumstances, we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have that comfort, that peace that God alone can give. And that love is demonstrated first and foremost as God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Last week we celebrated Easter. The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and then He rose again and gives us victory over death and victory over sin. And because of that, we have that comfort of love. We have that peace with God. That peace that only God can give but also His fellowship of the Spirit. And if you're reading there, you'll notice that this S in Spirit is capitalized. It's speaking of the Holy Spirit. A partnership that we have in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit is He provides us with a unified purpose. But that Holy Spirit provides that unified purpose as we allow Him to control us. We're to be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be controlled by Him. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is with us. But our responsibility is is to allow Him to control us. And so we have this partnership with others as we are led by the Holy Spirit in a unified purpose to glorify God in the way we live and to reach the world that needs Him. But the opposite effect, or disunity, means that we're not being controlled by the Spirit. And then the final reason for unity there in verse 1 is the affection and mercy. Are we tenderly comforted and encouraged by God? Very similar to the first one He gave as far as the consolation in Christ. So since the answers to all of these questions are obvious, we are to then display the actions of unity that Paul describes here. What does this unity look like? Well, in verse 4, He gives four aspects or four things it looks like. And they're very intertwined. In fact, almost we could consider some of them synonymous with each other. Just built upon each other as a reminder of what this unity looks like. We're to be like-minded. Literally means to have the same mind as followers of Jesus Christ. We have the same goals as we submit to God's will and as we serve Him. Not only are we to be like-minded or having the same mind, we're to have the same love. And one of the emphasis of this is that we love others equally. It's a love of the will rather than a love of an emotion. And it's a love of action rather than just words. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to say I love you. It's much harder to love. It's not simply just a a word that we say. It's an action that we live. 
and it's for everyone. We're to love equally. We're to, we're to love those people that aren't necessarily like us, that, aren't, that, we don't, that we're not naturally attracted to. And so Jesus is saying, listen, my love to you is unconditional. My love to you is, will never change. Your love for others should demonstrate that love that I have for you, Jesus speaking. It needs to be the same love. It also needs to be of one accord. Being in one accord means that we're living in selfless harmony with others. We will not allow minor differences to divide us. And it is hard because we have things that, that we want. We have ways we want things done. We have focuses that we want emphasized. It's very hard to defer. But a unified love will defer to another. We won't allow minor differences to divide us. And then we're of one mind. This is synonymous with being like-minded. Paul begins and ends this list of these actions we're to have with this idea of having the same thinking, the same goals. And so we see, yes, we're to love one another. We're to be unified. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us and the hope that we have and the unifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is demonstrated as we are like-minded, as we love one another, as we are in one accord of one mind. But what is the key? How does it look? And what can make it take place? The key to unity is found in verses 3 and 4. And we see that it is lowliness of mind or humility. And so Paul begins here in verse 3 by showing what it is not. It is not selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is seeking personal advantage no matter how it affects others. It's all about me. What do I want? What makes me happy? Conceit is a highly exaggerated view of myself. So with this attitude of selfish ambition and conceit, I will pursue personal goals and personal glory. And that selfish ambition and that conceit destroys unity. But Jesus says instead of living that, I need to live humbly. If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5-7, through he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. These attitudes that we're to have in our life. And the first one that he gives, and really it's a foundation for all the others, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Oftentimes we say, blessed are the poor. And we say, well, I must be blessed. Have you seen my bank account? He's not talking about that. He's talking about the poor in spirit. Humble. And as you've probably heard the quote, humility is not thinking 
less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. I live humbly when, as he says there in verse 3, I esteem others better than myself. I consider them more important. And he goes on in verse 4 to say that he thinks about the interest of others, not just his own interests. We don't have to be taught how to think about our own interest. It comes naturally. If you have children, you didn't have to work on how to throw a fit at the grocery store. Alright, Joey, now we're going to go to the grocery store and we're going to go to the front end to check out and there's going to be all these candy bars and other things that we're not going to buy, but I want to teach you how to throw a fit. We don't have to teach that, do we? We don't have to teach ourselves how to think about our own interests. What we want, but Paul says, listen, don't just think about what you want. Think about others. And esteem them better. Put their interest before your own and it does not come naturally. It is a continual battle. But we will not have unity in our household. We will not have unity at our job. We will not have unity in our church without humility in our lives. And by the way, we won't have joy without humility. And as Paul is sharing throughout the book of Philippians and 16 or 17 times uses the term joy or rejoice in this short letter, that, that joy was not based upon their circumstances. It wasn't based upon their bank account. It wasn't based upon anything other than the relationship with God and the opportunity that they had to serve and encourage and strengthen one another because of that relationship with God. Humility is the key to unity. And it's a reminder that it is not about me. Humility needs to affect all of my relationships. It needs to affect my friendships. You ever had that person and you're striving to be a friend with them and every time it's all about them? It's pretty hard. In my marriage, it needs to be about humility. Putting my spouse before myself. In all of my family relationships, it needs to be about humility, thinking of their interests, not just my own. And in my church, it needs to be about humility. You know, and when I am humble and I think about others, I will be able to love more and to serve more. Why do we struggle serving? And we all struggle serving. 
we struggle serving when we focus upon ourselves. And by the way, that humility leads us to serving and that's part of the joy. We see in this letter to the Philippians that, that Paul thanked them for a gift that they had given to him to help with the ministry. But they were a group of very poor people. But they had joy in giving what they could give to serve one another. And it's not just about finances, it's about giving of ourselves to serve others. And we do that because of humility. But when we do that, it brings joy. It brings satisfaction in our lives and joy, contentment as we serve one another. We are called to be promoters of unity. Now I recognize throughout this message this morning, it's been pretty much okay, Paul says, because of verse 1. You need to do verse 2. It's only possible through verses 3 and 4, but how does that look in my life? How will I live differently in order to be that person that's a promoter of unity? And now obviously Paul is speaking here specifically about the church, but we need to be a person of unity in all areas of our lives. We should be that person at the family reunion that everybody desires to be around because they're encouraging and uplifting rather than that person like, oh boy, I hope they're not coming this year. What are we doing to promote unity? Ephesians, 4 verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 14 and 15 says, Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection or maturity, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts so that also you are called in one body, the unity there, and be thankful. What does it look like? How can I be a unifier rather than a divider? Well, I think there's some very practical things that we can do. We need to focus on what unites us. Unhealthy conflict occurs when we focus on things that are secondary. Now, there's two parts to that. One is focus. Oftentimes, that unhealthy conflict comes when we obsess. We obsess about things. So, we focus or obsess on things that are secondary. They're not really that important. Now, it's not wrong to have an opinion. It's not wrong to have a personal preference. We're not talking about doctrine here. 
the two ladies that were having the fight that Paul talks about in chapter 4, it was not a foundation of the faith. But when we allow those minor things to become major, we're going to create disunity. Am I able to defer to someone else in something that is not that important? Or am I going to die on that hill? And Paul was seeing all the amazing things that this church in Philippi was doing and they were impacting their community and the world around them. But Paul knew Satan was going at him. And they were struggling with unity. We can't have that unhealthy conflict when we focus or obsess on things that aren't really that important. And you know, the second part of being able to handle that is to recognize it's not about me. You know, I need to be thinking in my mind because of love, I'm going to do this or not do this. Are we willing to step back and instead focus on what unites us and what's truly most important? And by the way, technology helps disunity, doesn't it? Technology is a good thing. It can be used for great things. The gospel is spread around the world much more easily because of technology. But be careful that you're not using technology, that you're not using social media to create disunity within the body of Christ. So we see the importance of focusing on what unites us. Also, don't expect perfection. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love, okay. <laughs> yeah. What they did wasn't right, but guess what? I'm going to love them. Proverbs tells us that it is a blessing to overlook a matter. If we did this more in our marriages, our, our marriages would be much stronger. If we did this in our friendships, our friendships would be much stronger. And if we did this in our church, unity would be stronger. I need to realize that uh, as a sinner, I hurt others. And as sinners, others hurt me. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But we need to reconcile rather than run. Groucho Marx, the great theologian, 
said this, I don't want to belong to any club that would let me in. You'll get that one a little later on this afternoon. Yeah. I tell you what, if you want a perfect church, the moment you step in and become a part, it's imperfect. By the way, it was imperfect before. If you want a perfect pastor, you're going to vote me out because I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, and we need to recognize and show grace toward one another. And when we do that, we're demonstrating the love and grace of God as we show love and grace to one another. And simply encourage rather than criticize. Romans 14.19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Are you that person that is encouraging? And you say, but John, some correction needs to be... Yeah, okay, well, if there is correction that is needed, first of all, make sure correction is needed. And if it is, it needs to be done in love. We like the shotgun approach. I'm going to blast away and I might hit something. We need to encourage, to edify, to lift up. And when we do that, unity occurs. We are called to be a unified church. And I will end as I began. I am amazed at God's goodness and God's faithful people in our church. You know, we have annual meetings and our biggest concern in our annual meeting is to make sure we have enough for a quorum. Well, a lot of churches, the annual meeting is, boy, I hope that we don't blow up. I believe we are a strong, unified church, but Satan is going to do everything he can to poke at that unity. And he will desire to use each of us to create that tension and discord, disunity. We have a great God and we have a great responsibility as God's people to share the gospel with a world that needs him and to grow together in not just our knowledge of God, but our relationship with him as we grow also with one another. Paul said, be like-minded, be of one love, of one accord, of one mind. We do it through humility as we put others first, as we recognize it's not about me. And God will be glorified. And we will be used by God as instruments to impact our world for His glory. That is who we, are, who we need to be and what we need to do. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that as Almighty God, You love us. Lord, I thank You for Your faithfulness.
Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of, of this body of believers. And, and Lord, I know many others throughout our community and around the world, we thank you that we can have a testimony for Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified in our interactions. May you be glorified in each of our lives as we humbly are unifiers rather than in pride be someone who creates disunity. Lord, help us in relationships where we may be struggling. Lord, help us to honor you in in our part, in our responsibility. And help us as a church to impact our neighborhood, our community, and our world for you. We will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.